Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. This is the Unseen Leadership Podcast, where we explore the unseen stories that shaped leaders into who they are today. Success is about you, but significance is about others. So I can be successful and nothing wrong with that. But man, significance is when it's about the people other than me. And uh, I want to be that kind of leader that leaves that kind of legacy. Welcome to the Unseen Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Chandler Vinoy, here joined as always by my co-host, Josh Hunter. And and Todd Atkins. Uh, I'm just crashing because I came into the room and I said, who are you all interviewing? And we said, Brad Lominick. You said, Brad. I said, I'm in. <laughs> Brad. Well, I really have a meeting in like five minutes, but I'm in for the first part of it. <laughs> He's hanging out. Who else do we have with us, Josh? We have Brad Lominick, as you might have figured out by now. But Brad is yeah, he's giving us a clap. There. He's clapping for himself. You should have special music. Clapping for myself, for people. I have special music for Brad. Brad Brad has been on 50Q more than any other person, I think. Wow. Wow. I'm I'm Todd. You might say I'm Todd's security blanket. He is. He is. And you know what? I've been through like three co-hosts now, so he's probably yeah. going to end up tying them when it all comes. When it, when I I'm Todd Snuggy is what I am. <laughs> Todd Snuggy. Uh, He'd be happy to have he's you as really like as well. A pram uh, a a prayer uh, a prayer blanket. What do they think? Ooh, interesting. Like Jim, wow. Well, <laughs> ten times the blessing. <laughs> Brad, we're happy to have you on the show today. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. It's so fun to be with you guys. And, you know, this is like family. This is like sitting in the in the family room, having a nice spritzer. (laughs) And we will stop there. But just having a nice spritzer, hanging out, talking shop. We will take it. For those of you that don't know Brad Lominick, he uh, he led Catalyst for many years, and he's now a leadership consultant, a speaker, founder of Blink, B-L-I-N-C, and author of The Catalyst Leader and H3 Leadership, incredible books. I've read H3 a couple times. He writes about leadership, the next generation, creativity, innovation, mm. any mm. other like shun words that's, that's big. He's yes. Todd Snuggy, apparently. And he's Todd's yes. prayer blanket slash Snuggy. So. Everything Todd does, I basically take credit for. So <laughs> thank you. Uh, I'm I'm like the Carl Rove to Todd to Todd Atkins. I, or to George Bush. I'm 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 Todd Atkins Carl Rove. Chandler, you got what I said. <laughs> this too. Hey, this is a bad hey, idea. This, I actually I can't remember. Did I send you I was in an airport not too long ago and saw a picture of H or I saw H three in an airport and I took a picture of it. Did I send that to yeah. you? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Good. There it is. It's a really, yeah, those, really good book. Those airport yeah. copies don't sell ever, but they are good. They're good promotion. <laughs> they never sell. Oh, I picked it up and they set it back down after the picture. <laughs> they, sell <Yeah>. about, <laughs> they sell them for about forty three dollars a book. That's it's why. Right. Yeah. Speaking I mean, of airports, this is round two for Brad on the Unseen Leadership Podcast. Unfortunately, the first one was interviewed in the airport, and all the announcements we could not edit it out. So, Brad, welcome oh. back. Yes. Thank you for having me back. I'm, I appreciate you, you guys, you, you allowing me to, uh, to do a round two, because that first time I was annoyed and I wasn't even having to listen to the, I mean, I was in the room in the airport. I'm sure you were doubly annoyed on the other side of it, but we I hopefully I was can, missing my flight. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I feel like I dumped all my good ideas out. So well, it was gold. I, hopefully I can, hopefully, hopefully I can create it. I can stir it back up. 
<laughs> so good. Well, we'll go ahead and hop into the questions here. We'll get started with the first one, which is this. Can you walk us through a quick overview of the different leadership roles you've been in over the years that led you to where you are today? Well, it started in kindergarten, guys. Uh, I was in, I was made the classroom president in kindergarten. And from then on, it was just, it was leadership to a hilt. And I, I somewhat kid, but I mean, I remember first day of, of kindergarten, I did trade deals like in the room. And then the second day in the cafeteria, I was getting a chocolate milkshake and Dorito <laughs> trade. And, and my commission was an Oreo, you know, it was, there, there was some, there was some deep down uh, connecting leadership pieces in there that were just natural, but that's two, that's uh, two of the three in H3 leadership. That's hungry. Exactly. Yes. Good one. So I did there. I'm leaving now. I'm leaving. I'm not going to talk. He's out. This episode, He's so. out folks. Bye Todd. See you guys. See you Todd. What y'all really See you, Todd. is I'm on every one of these, but I remain. <laughs> <laughs> it's fabulous. That's fabulous. So back to the garden, Brad. Yeah. Well, I was going to say the grand poobah of, of uh, podcast right there. Todd Atkins has left the building. Yes. He's left the building. Anyway, uh, I'll give you the quick career uh, advancements. You know, I was uh, on a ranch in Colorado after college. So university of Oklahoma graduate history major wanted to go to law school, went to Colorado to play cowboy on a ranch, (laughs) working guest ranch. Thought I would be there for six months, stayed for almost five years. Wow became the ranch foreman. And I mean, I truly like was not just the, you know, the, the guy on the commercial who was trying to sell you. I was actually, uh, really playing cowboy. I mean, it wasn't just make-believe. I really was a bona fide ranch man and had 140 horses and 250 head of cattle and a hundred guests. Yeah. So I, 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 and it was all, you learned on the fly, truly. I mean, I didn't know anything about <laughs> ranching or horses or cattle for that matter. Um, so that was a massive sort of redirect, but also just incredible season of foundational work ethic creation of um, learning how to lead a team, learning how to, how to, uh, how to deal with guests what hospitality was, I mean, all kinds of stuff that I never thought I would, as a history major, I never expected that. And, uh, and then out of that ranch, I got connected to some guys who had a small consulting practice in Fayetteville, Arkansas of all places. And they were the, I was so intrigued because they were really these two business professionals who were also teaching pastors Hmm. at a church in Northwest Arkansas. And they carried the scriptures in one hand and they, also carried the Wall Street Journal and the other. And it was like this, it was like I had seen what I wanted to become, you know, in, ter- in terms of this idea of being a follower of Jesus, fully devoted, but also like really, really, really proficient and, and uh, effective at being sort of in the marketplace. And I just told him, I said, I want to come hang out with you guys because I like you and I want to learn from you. I don't even know what you do, but I'll figure it out. And so I spent five years there as a management consultant and we did a magazine and one of our clients during that time, and this was, this was in my late early mid to, mid to late twenties was an organization called enjoy, mm-hmm. which was John Maxwell's organization. And so that's how I got connected into the callous world and, and John and 
I was helping them on some projects, one of those actually being Catalyst and writing the business plan and thinking about the marketing strategy. And I ended up joining up with that team and then spent 15 years or so sort of in that space. And that's really what people would know if they know me or they know, you know, kind of what I've done, it's mainly connected to the catalyst world, the catalyst conferences, the leading that movement. And then the last five years I've been doing a lot of, of, uh, I would say returning in some ways to consulting, but it's much more, it's much more advising and it's really built on relationships I have and working with organizations that, that have been friends for many years, many of those years being during the catalyst years and, so I have my own little small agency called Blink, which doesn't really have anybody else on the team except me. I'm a solo entrepreneur, guys. I'm Han Solo. <laughs> we can just, uh, we can be honorary members, me and Chandler. You are. You're actually on the board. You didn't even realize it. You're a, you're a voting member <laughs> of the go. board. There you I'm, go. I'm honored. <laughs> in fact, this is a board meeting right now. Yes. Hey, yeah, your name. All, all those in favor. Aye. Those yep. opposed? Uh, mm-hmm. Yep, we're good. Yeah, we got it. Yeah. So that's, that's the, uh, that's the career history and that here's the, here's the practical lesson and then I'll stop and we can move on. Uh, for me anyway, when I look back on those four seasons, I stepped into things I knew nothing about. Mm. I wasn't ready for the next season. And so many of us, I think when, when we're kind of in the first half, we think we've got to have it all together. We got to be prepared. We got to have the right steps in place. And the next ladder on the, the next rung on the ladder has to be sort of already mapped out before we take it. And I would say based on my story, man, I, I walked into four different seasons with no clue, but I knew like the foundation of who I was, the character, the integrity, the hard work, the hustle, the, the, you know, the willingness to learn all of that. I knew that would carry me and be able to become effective at the, at the what. Now that's really helpful. Tell me what, what season, you talked about several different seasons that you were entering in, and this could have been back in your, uh, you know, your hungry and your hustle days when you were uh, trading food around the cafeteria, but when did you <laughs> realize, when did the light bulb come on that, oh, wow, I'm a leader. I have leadership yeah. qualities. Like, the, the realization of what you were doing was actually influence and leadership. Well, I knew it early on, but I didn't even know what to call it. You know, like, there, there are, there's definitely breadcrumbs for all of us of, of, stepping up and stepping out in our childhood that we don't, we don't sit around and be in and think, you know what? I'm going to be strategic about being a leader today hmm. as a seven-year-old. Like, you don't, <laughs> that's not a conversation you have. If, if you do, we should, we should probably question the parents and what they're doing, you know, with that child. I guess Jesus was the only one that fell into that category. Oh, <laughs> Jesus juke right there. I like it. He's like, I'm yeah, teaching it to exactly mom right. and dad, back off. I'm a leader. <laughs> only Jesus. Yep. Only. But there, there, you know, there, there is all, there's the things in us that, that naturally just show up. So I would say, yeah, it started showing up in early in school and it didn't look like me thinking I gotta, I gotta be the one in charge. Uh, it looked like me just stepping up and being willing to sort of come to the front of the line or to stand up, uh, for those who couldn't stand up for themselves or being willing to do a trade deal in the cafeteria or, you know, being willing to lead a revolt 
in elementary school when we didn't have chocolate milkshakes. <laughs> That's great. That's actually a true story. Like <laughs> we had milk, we had vanilla and we had strawberry. It's like, come on, Bristow elementary school cafeteria. We need some chocolate milkshakes in the house. So let's lead a revolt. It was our, it was, you know, it was my, it was my first uh, chance to, uh, to uh, create a union and that's, that kind of stuff just shows up. So I would say practically when it started showing up where it felt like leadership was in middle school, when you start running for class, you know, class positions like class mm-hmm. president or yeah. student council, or that's when most of it starts to show up for most of us. And it did for me too, you know? Uh, and, and those were just natural. It was like, this is what I do. I don't even, I'm not even going to have to choose whether I run for student council president. Um, that's just me. And everybody would say, yeah, bro, that's you. Like, we don't, nobody's even going to run against you because there's no reason to like, that's who you are. We, we all would sort of put you in that category. Um, so that's my story. And it, and it's, it's always been true. And I like the fact that there was an expectation put on me that, no, you are the person that needs to, to step into that. Yeah. Uh, so I never felt like I had to, had to, uh, had to learn how to do it. It just, it was just there. And it, it was just natural. Yeah, that, for sure. I understand that. Can you tell us about a pivotal moment that you look back on that changed your leadership um, and maybe in potentially your life? Yeah, I mean, I'll give you, um, I'll give you one during the Lost Valley days because and that's the ranch. That's the working guest ranch post-college. I mean, there was, you know, there, there was... And it shows up in two ways, guys. The first part is the faithfulness piece. So just context, you know, big man on campus at OU, and I'm not bragging, I'm just giving context. I was the achiever. I'm an, I'm an Enneagram three. Every award I tried to win, you know, GPA was really important. Um, I wanted to graduate with honors from OU, all that stuff, okay? Law school, I'm going to be a senator. I'm going to change the face of the political hmm. climate in Oklahoma, in the next 20 to 30 years. Um, so that was all kind of on me in college. Then at 25, sort of in the middle of my years of being at Lost Valley, which was an amazing experience, but I remember this, this sort of this pivotal moment of, of uh, deep in the, in the, uh, deep in the, the, the daily grind of scooping poop. Because <laughs> when there's 140 horses, you do a lot of that. It's like all you do. It's all you do, pretty much. You know, and, and deep into the daily hustle, grind, mundane of poop scooping. I just thought, what am I doing? I'm falling behind. Nobody cares. All my friends are going to law school, medical school. They're moving to Dallas. They're, you know, they got these cool jobs at Fortune 50 companies. What am I doing? And it was like the, you know, the spirit of God quietly saying to me, this is what you're doing. Like if you can scoop the poop better than anybody else in the world, that's what I'm concerned about right now. So there might be, there might be, you know, something on you a decade from now, there might be a time when you stand on a stage in front of 12,000 leaders in an arena in Georgia but right now I need you to scoop the poop Hmm. and just, man, just that, just that lesson, the tangible lesson of be faithful in what, where you are. Um, even if it's insignificant, nobody knows, you know, you feel like you're, 
you're, it's a mundane, it's not leading to the next thing. It's not sort of the next step you saw as, as part of your strategic plan you laid out when you were 18. Your parents are asking that question very, very appropriately, but still kind of concerned, like, really? Like, you're, you're really doing this? You're working on a ranch? You wear Wrangler jeans and play cowboy? I mean, come on, like, <laughs> for real? And, man, that moment of, of feeling like, no, the, the way I do today is going to actually uh, not just not just lead to something in the in the next that is significant, but it's actually going to be my scorecard in the kingdom. Mm. I mean, that gave me life. It, it it allowed me to see that what I was doing actually mattered. Um, so that that's one side of the equation. Here's the other side. At the at the same time, um, I was not a real good leader when I was at Lost Valley, and and what I found my, what, now when I look back and this was pivotal for me, when I look back, I, I, I realized that, um, the way I thought leadership was supposed to be was I will set the tone. I will work hard and everybody else should be just like me. They should also work hard. They should be incredibly intense with their approach to the, the level of excellence and quality and, almost like this military minded approach to just perfection. And when people didn't hit that, I took offense to it personally as their leader. Mm. And I also um, distanced myself from them, meaning that I was actually creating a greater chasm based on my intensity as a three and as an ENTJ, right? You know where I'm going with this. Like, so all of a sudden, people who were working for me at Lost Valley, who were my same age, we were all in our 20s, you know? A lot of guys were even older than me, is they would say, man, we, we, we see such a great work ethic example in Brad, but I wish he would just actually be our friend. Mm. Wow. And what I learned looking back was, man, if, if, I, if I'm not um, actually helping other people win and letting them uh, letting them become who God has called them to be. And, and I'm taking them with me and I'm helping them thrive and I'm putting wind in their sails and you know, all that encouraging them. Mm-hmm. I'm not winning, even though we're winning, you know, even though we're, we're, we're still like creating a great environment here and it's our guests love it. Our client loves it. Uh, but I wasn't real fun to work with. And I think a lot of us when we're young, especially those of us who are a bit more ambitious that's a tendency is to be so ambitious and so intense that we sort of distance ourselves from the people around us. Um, if the people closest to you aren't getting the best of you, you're not winning as a leader. And so I was not giving the best of myself to my team, That's you know, cool. the 12 other Wranglers in the corral that were scooping poop together and saddling horses. The guests love me. Uh, the owners love me, but those people closest to me were, they were kind of getting the leftovers. So that's a great reminder. And Brad, I really appreciate you sharing that because just as you said, like there was a time where you were, you were up on stage and uh, in front of 12,000 people. And there was probably a lot of people in there that looked up to you and said, I want to be where Brad is at, but they didn't see those days, right. Where yeah. you were going through the fire, learning God was forming you into the leader that he wanted you to be. And it's just a great reminder for all of us is, God needs to work in us in the private before he can let us lead in the public. Um, you got it, the man. things he's got to pull out of us and then form us into his image. So that's just a great reminder. So thanks for 
sharing that story with us. So as you were as you were getting started as a leader, I'm sure there were only a few mistakes that you made. <laughs> but what would you say was your biggest mistake getting started? Well, my biggest mistake probably was that uh, I thought it meant that I was sort of the ultimate expression of of the legacy of myself, meaning that if I was winning, then I was winning as a leader. So it's, here's, here's, here's a good way to look at that. And, um, and it, where it becomes helpful, the, the, the wide receiver or the quarterback or the running back on the team that wins player of the year, but their team goes three and 13 for that season. Now, there's always circumstances with that, but if I'm winning, but my team isn't, or the people closest to me or around me aren't. And so I was always so focused on myself and getting better and improving and hustling and working hard that um, that I would I would tend to sort of not, not dismiss other people, but I just, they were in the way in some ways, you know? It was almost like they were competition to sort of get to the top of, the, mm-hmm. of, of Mount Everest. Um, and so that's been a, that was one I learned early on. I'm still learning that. Like I still struggle with that as a leader. Um, I, I, you know, a, the other thing for me in the early days, especially of learning to lead. And most of this was, most of this ended up showing itself through sports because so many of us learn about teamwork and leading by being on the team when we're in school, in school years. But I wasn't a real good leader as it related to um, actually articulating and calling people out, not just in terms of challenging them, but also just encouraging them. Um, I was, I, I said, well, I'll just be the quiet leader. You know, I'll lead by example. And everybody knew I was a leader. Everybody was like, oh, Lominick, that guy's, he's, he'll take charge. But I missed out on a lot of opportunities to, to actually like step up and be vocal and, and step into places to, encourage or challenge or inspire. Um, that was one I missed on at least looking back on those kind of seasons. Um, you know, I've always been a natural collaborator when it comes to leadership. I've always sort of been a unifier and, um, that has, that's actually one of those things I learned early in life. And it, it, um, you know, the, the, the people who are really good at connecting, in terms of putting people together and they're able to sort of read the room and figure out like who should talk to who. And, uh, that, that, that was one I learned early by not doing it well, but then I quickly like got on the right path. And it's probably been the, in some ways, my greatest superpower. If I look back on my journey and think what has allowed me to differentiate myself, not just as a leader, but also in terms of the way people view me as a friend, it's, it's in many ways been, oh, Brad, he always is willing to connect people. Um, so that's kind of a win, but it also took me losing at it early before I really learned how to do it well. And there's a big difference between networkers and connectors, guys. You know, the networker is the sleazy person that you're trying to avoid. <laughs> yeah. the, the one who finds you at Barnes and Noble yeah. or the one who like is looking over your shoulder and sort of beyond your eyes in the room, trying to figure out who, who is the most powerful so they can go f- talk to them. 
the, the connector is the one who is incredibly focused on the person in front of them and willing to make connections that actually benefit others more than it benefits themselves. Networkers are, are incredibly selfish and connectors are, are somewhat selfless. So I want to always be thinking connection and not networker. Uh, Cause people many times will ask me, well, aren't those the same At the end of the day? I'm like, no big difference, big difference. I love hearing or getting a text or email or a phone call from, from my friends who connect me. Uh, I avoid the phone call from the networker. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a question. Uh, uh, is it about, um, is it about personal gain or just relationship? You, you want to be you in a relationship it. with somebody? If, if so, that's great. Like w- we can, we can do that authentically to just have good, good friendship and stay in touch every now and then. And if something comes of it later down the road, that's great. But just for the purpose of networking, I feel like it just really never works out. So what, what are you going to do for me? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. What are you going to do for me, man? And, and most, most of us think, most of us think, oh, we'll actually, we'll network our way to the top, mm. but then we'll connect people once we get there. <laughs> and I would say, no, you actually need to connect your way to the top. Mm. And once you're at the top, you, you keep connecting people. Those are, but, those are really wise words. Uh, you talked a bit, little bit about this, and I can't remember which book it was, Brad. It was H. Theory Catalyst, um, the Catalyst Leader, about the difference between ambition and then personal ambition or self ambition. Mm-hmm. I can't remember which terms you used, but yep. I found that really helpful. Ambition. Actually, I'll let you take a, can you explain the two differences of those just a really quick snapshot before we get to the next question? Yeah. Well, and I mean, it's similar to that idea of networking connector, like ambition is, is a ruthless pursuit of, of helping other people win mm. and you'll get pulled along the way. It's also a godly perspective. It is, it is spiritual at its core. Uh, healthy ambition is very biblical, godly, gospel-centered, Jesus-focused. So, you know, I, I would totally disagree if somebody says, well, as Christians, we should not be ambitious. Like, no, just the opposite. Actually, we should, we should be incredibly ambitious, but in the right direction. Right. With the right perspective and purpose. So, Selfish ambition or self ambition is very selfish. It's, I want to get mine. I'm going to leave everybody else out. It's a, it's a, it's a scarcity mentality. It's, there's only so much of the pie left and I've got to make sure I get my cut. Um, everything about what you do, it will feel transactional, which can actually look relational and look healthy in some ways, but it's real transactional. Meaning at the end of the day, who's going to benefit? you're, you're going to benefit. Right. And, and it doesn't mean, well, if I'm, if I'm appropriately ambitious and healthy in my ambition that I won't necessarily personally benefit, but it's all about perspective and posture. So that, that's a little deep dive into what you're talking about, Josh. Nope. Super helpful. Thank you for clarifying. Well, before we get to the next question, let's take a moment to hear from one of our sponsors. Do you ever feel like you don't know where to start with volunteer training? Or if you do, is it hard to get everyone in the same place at the same time? Well, Ministry Grid makes it simple to train every volunteer and leader in your church. With a library of 3,500 videos and 800 courses, you will find training for every ministry area and leadership level. From volunteers to leaders to ministry directors, Ministry Grid's scope and sequence of training makes it easy to know who needs what training. And here's the best news of all. 
For the month of August, you can get unlimited access to Ministry Grid for your entire church for just $3.99 a year. And you are locked in every year after to this great price. So if you want to take advantage of this incredible deal, just go to ministrygrid.com slash podcast to get unlimited training for $3.99. Once again, that is ministrygrid.com slash podcast. Now back to the episode. Brad, what book do you wish someone gave you when you were just starting to lead? H3. Come on, man. Ah, uh, yeah, we go. <laughs> Product placement. <laughs> oh, that's so annoying. <laughs> Say your own book. You're like, I'm annoying, I just realized. <laughs> I'm annoying. Oh, Catalyst Leaders. Sorry, that was the wrong answer. <laughs> that's, the, that's the right one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I really, this sounds somewhat like, uh, you know, the, the right corporate answer, but I, I would have loved to have had 21 laws of yeah. leadership by Maxwell. Um, you know, I didn't read that book until I was probably 30, maybe give or take somewhere in there. Um, so that would have been one I would love to have as a, as a high school student. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I'm a big fan of next generation leader by Andy Stanley. I think that's one of the best out there in terms of, again, sort of the, the idea being in your, in your younger days, here's some things you need to think about. Um, I'll tell you the, the, the ones that also come to mind guys for me would be like how to, how to sort of navigate leading and also running an organization or becoming, uh, you know, a, a somebody who builds something. And so even the, a book like Entree Leadership, mm-hmm by Dave Ramsey, which I think is one of the best books, uh, practically what it looks like to run a, a, a company. And that could be true for running a church or running a nonprofit. It doesn't have to be a company, but man, I would have loved to have that book in my hands. And a lot of the stuff I wouldn't even have known how to implement it, but it would have just been helpful to, to, to have those, you know, especially like sort of post-graduation right there at 22 working uh, at Lost Valley Ranch in Colorado. No, that's great, Brad. So we've mentioned it and you did a shameless plug, which is great, but just another one. (laughs) H3 Leadership really is an incredible book. I've read it at least one and a half times by now, you know, I read once fully and then, you know, you kind of skim it to, to get the gold yeah. nuggets out. You go back to the, go back to the parts you really like. Yeah. yeah. The parts I really like. That's it. One of these ages. <laughs> you go back to the picture section. Yes. <laughs> oh, one of the H's is hustle. Um, can you explain what is hustle and uh, how early in your leadership did you discover hustle? Well, I mean, it was, it was, I think it was, uh, it was beaten into me by my parents. Uh, and I don't mean that literally, I mean it figuratively. Um, but the, the idea of, of being willing to work hard when needed to, or just the premise that my posture is that I can, I walk in and sort of do whatever it takes to get it done. Um, that was, that was instilled in me early on, um, as the son of a football coach, as well as a, as a, the son of a principal, you know, there were, there was some strong, yeah parental pieces that got inserted pretty quickly, but that the, um, I think it's always, it's always been for me, the easiest way to sort of gain credibility in any environment. And again, going back to my story, you know, all of my seasons, even in school, you know, I was stepping, all of us step into seasons where you look around and go, I have no clue. Like I'm the, I'm a sophomore on this football team and 
those seniors are really big and they look mean and they've got like full beards. <laughs> so <laughs> I got to, I got, I better, I better bring. Yeah. It actually, it was more like the seventh, the seventh grader looking at the ninth grader with the full beard right. and the seventh grader still like, man, I don't even have hair in my arms. What's going on here? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I, you know, you always could sort of show up without any skill or know-how and figure out pretty quickly what it meant to, to be somebody who, who hustled. And again, practically think, think of sports when your coach between, between sessions of two a days or between drills, you know, they're, they're blowing the whistle and they're screaming at you, hustle up boys. Let's go hustle, hustle, hustle. Mm -hmm. Like what? What are you talking about? Why do, why, why do you, why do we need to, why do we need to run in between drills? Because that's a posture. Like that's a mindset that says we're, you know, we're getting better. We're, we're willing to work hard. We're going to, we're going to continue to improve. We're going to, we're going to pursue excellence, you know? So that's been in me a long time. And um, I love it when I see it in young leaders. And I think it's more true in young leaders than it's ever been. I don't think there's a lack of hustle in any way, shape or form with Gen Y, Gen Z, millennials, doesn't matter. Like 20 somethings, there is equal amounts of hustle quotient in young leaders as there are all the old geezers who would say, <laughs> I walked 27 miles uphill. You know, that's always been true generationally. We always say that like, it's just, it's the natural progression. Yeah. It's the same um, statement, every new generation. <laughs> exactly. Right. So, you know, stop, if you're old and you're, you got that posture towards young leaders, stop, stop thinking that they're, it's not, they're not lazy. They're not, they might be, but so were you. I mean, so were I, so was I like, I, it's, it's, it's more today than more than ever that the, the hustle factor doesn't look the same. So the hustle factor in, you know, always looks different in different seasons of life in different generations. Um, so it's, but it's more that mindset. Are, are you willing to show up early? You know, are you willing to stick around? Are you willing to go the distance? Are you, are you willing to move the chairs, even though that's not on your job description, youth pastor? Are you, are you, are you willing to, you know, yeah, change the sign, you know, are, are you willing to take that's true. 20%, 20% of your senior pastor's job description or, or, or job overall that they don't even like to do? And you take it and you anticipate and you just say, I'll take it and I'll, I'll fix it. I'll run with that. I'll, I'll navigate that. I'll manage it. And they, six months later, they go, have you been working on like that area? Oh yeah. I just took that over for you. I figured, I figured I could just take that off your plate and you wouldn't have to worry about it. You know I mean? That compared to you're sitting around waiting on somebody to come and tell you to do something. Yep. And you're, and you're sitting around basically with a posture with, with, with arms crossed saying, nobody gives me a shot here. Nobody's willing to listen to me. You know, nobody's willing to take a chance on me. Uh, I've been given such a small insignificant role and I'm, I'm looking around going, what can I do here? I got to lean in. I want to, and I'm not doing it because I want to get the glory. I'm just doing it because that's the actual best way for me to create credibility yeah. in the organization. It's the right thing to do. Yeah. It's taking exactly. And I mean, when you've got a team like that, guys, like we've been on teams where you've, you know, been in cultures where that's the posture of everybody. That's fun. That's a fun place to work. Mm. Oh yeah. It's almost like, it's almost like people are fighting over, 
over who can who can actually you know take something off the other person's plate or who's willing to you know fight to to get to move the chairs compared to oh my gosh send a memo please somebody i'll give you an extra 20 bucks somebody come move the chairs <laughs> so Brad, hearing you say that many of the younger generations you said are really killing it in the hustle area, but it's also, I think it's good to discuss the idea of margin. I think last time we kind of talked about this was how do you balance hustle and margin, hustle and rest where it's not hustle in every aspect of life, but there are times of rest and taking a step back. What would you say to that? Yeah. I mean, it's a, that's a good question and it's a hard thing to, to balance, um, I don't know if I have the right answer other than I'll give some perspective. I mean, I, I would say early in your career, um, you know, in general, looking, trying to discover sort of that, that calling and, and the right assignment to go pursue that reflects your calling. Mm -hmm. I think the best way to do that many times is say yes. And when I say, say yes, I mean, like you, you want to have, by the time you're 29, you want to have, as many possible different things you've done that you can look back and sort of look at the breadcrumbs and go, Oh, I, 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 I can definitely say I lean towards this. I mean, that's the kind of the way that that's the best way I think to many times discover your calling is to actually look in hindsight over the course of a decade or so. Um, so when I say that people will say, well, Brad, does that mean I just redline my life in my twenties? And I say yes to everything and I go everywhere and I have no margin and I have no rest and no Sabbath and that I am just overwhelmed constantly and just short of, you know, a feeling like I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, go postal. No, no, it, it's a balance. And, you know, part of, part of the rhythm of, of margin is actually when you have margin, it, it gives you opportunity, you know, so margin in your finances gives you opportunities to be generous. Uh, margin in your friendships actually gives you opportunities to create memories. Same with family, you know, margin and family or close people that you do life with gives you opportunities for memories, gives you opportunities to sort of uh, say, respond to things that might've not been on the schedule. So all of that is such a big topic and I feel like I'm, you know, just poking the bear on that one. Yeah. But there, there is something to both saying yes in your twenties and being willing to try lots of things as well as, as establishing your foundation of Sabbath and margin and rest. And you gotta be intentional about it. Um, so put that in place, even, even if it, even if you look at it and go, I don't really have that much to create margin for like that my whole life's kind of margin right now because I don't have a job and I'm sort of going to school, but I'm out, I'm out kind of freelancing and that's okay. You know, just start putting those pieces in place that will give you foundation for, for the next 10, 15, 20 years when you do have to start to protect those. And many times the reason I brought up both of those guys, like the, the, the saying yes and finding your calling and, creating um, a sense of purpose on your life that is clear as well as creating margin is that I think many times midlife crises in your forties or even fifties is 
that you have built a lifestyle that has no margin. And then you've also built a lifestyle built on a false calling that now all of a sudden then you're, you're 48 and you don't have a lot of margin, but you finally have figured out what you want to do with your life. <laughs> hmm. And that's midlife crisis where you go, I'd finally know, but I can't actually go pursue it. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're spending more than we're making. I've got mortgage payments. I got three kids. I got three cars. I got all this stuff and now I'm stuck. And that can be a really, uh, I would say like drowning in many ways, feeling of, man, I have no wiggle room here. So go ahead and establish those rhythms early in life. That's, that's very practical and very helpful. Thank you for, for answering that. Moving on to the next question. What was your biggest misconception as a young leader? Um, well, I said it earlier, you know, that it was, it was really in my mind, I didn't, I wouldn't have said this, but I, the way I sort of lived it out was that it was about me and that if, if I was getting ahead, then I was winning. Yeah. So that's, that's a big one. Um, you know, if you're not taking your team with you, Maxwell said this, says it this way, you know, success is about you, but significance is about others. Mm. So I can be successful and nothing wrong with that. But man, significance is when it's about the people other than me. And uh, I want to be that kind of leader that leaves that kind of legacy. Um, the other thing was that I always thought that it had to do with, with being in, at the top of the food chain. It was positional. The leadership was all about hierarchy. It was all about, um, you know, what title do you have? Are you in charge based on being the grand poobah, the one, in, the one that sits in the corner office with your feet propped up, drinking a spritzer, barking commands at the minions, right? And we just know that's not true, especially today, more than ever. Mm-hmm. You, you can actually lead from anywhere. You really can. The, 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 the ability to influence people from anywhere in the organization has never been more available to us. Um, and the ability to lead and influence people from, from any kind of role, because so many of us are free agents now, we're, we're moonlighting, we're, you know, we're, we got multiple side hustles. I mean, all that stuff. So even the way we, we look at the, the perception of hierarchy and of organizational structure, that's all going to have to change in, in terms of how we view leadership because that, that world's crumbling. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's- so that, that, cha- that changes everything in terms of, of looking at it and going, I can actually influence these people, which means I'm leading them from anywhere. No, it's, and I felt like that change really, and correct me if I'm wrong, Brad, but really started with millennials and even in, uh, so a student life camp, we're leading, we're now getting into leading some college staff that are Gen Z and it's even, and I don't mean worse as negatively, but it's, it's even it's more real. Yeah. Uh, it's more of a Pronounced. real thing now. Yeah. And it's bigger. And we've started realizing more, man, we really, really have to lean into earning trust and gaining trust with these employees for them to follow us. They do not do well with just here are some orders and go. There is a time and place for that. And you got to explain the why behind that. But man, really leaning into that trust with them is becoming even more important with the younger and younger generations. It's, it's, it's really interesting. Yeah. And, and the idea of, of, um, with free agency, what, what happens to all of us as lead, when we're leading teams organizationally, 
uh, is that we actually have to work harder if we're in a role of being a boss or a manager or a supervisor or a leader, you know, whatever capacity that is, we actually have to work hard to keep them on our team. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a massive change in organizational culture dynamics because forever I, as the employee was trying to work as hard as I could to actually stay on the team. Now it's just the opposite in, in many places. Yeah. Yep that you better work hard as the employer to keep your employees. You better work hard as the organization to actually keep your best talent because they have options (laughs) and nothing wrong with options. Yep. Very true. Well, let's move now to the quick hitter questions. These are short one minute answers and we'll get started with this one, Brad. What is your ideal daily routine? So what time do you wake up, get into the office, all that good stuff? Well, I don't even go to an office. I, I just, <laughs> I just basically wake up and, and move to a, to a flat wake surface. Up, eat Kevin crunch. <laughs> I, I've, I've, I, my, my routine in the morning is, is a nice bowl of Wheaties. I'm not kidding. There you go. There you go. Wheaties is the breakfast of champions and, <laughs> and usually a pot of coffee. A whole pot. Whole pot. I know that's incredibly probably unhealthy, but you know what? Sue me. Um, <laughs> so six thirty a.m. Uh, that would be a normal wake up time. I man, I am a crusher of of uh, of work from six thirty to nine thirty, give or take. So I start with 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 work and trying to be really incredibly dialed in on the, um, the hard things first, you know, whether it's writing or, or working on a project or whatever that is for that day. Uh, I want to do that the first three hours. And then from that point, you know, nine thirty ten 10 until maybe 11, that's more like, uh, I would say, I would say reflection, prayer, scripture, um, you know, looking, read through the word, uh, praying for people. It, that's more almost the, you know, the discipleship time. So I've kind of reversed what most people do. Most people get up and do that first. I like to actually do, get up and work mm. on something first. Cause that's for me, the most productive time to do that. And then I, I'm actually ready at that point then to sort of settle into some more reflection and, and spiritual growth time. Yeah. Um, and then you know, in general afternoon for me would be, uh, two things. One is exercise and two is the tangible work, whether it's phone calls, whether it's interviews, whether it's, uh, working on the, you know, the, the blocking and tackling of sending invoices or it's, uh, you know, scheduling, it's getting flights booked. It's, it's all that stuff, you know, that goes into sort of what you do. Um, so, I've really taken to heart the, the, the principles of Daniel Pink's book, when great book. Yeah. W H E N. Cause you know, he talks, well, you guys have read it. I mean, it's, it's really helpful. And I knew this before, but reading it again from him, it was like, okay, that makes a ton of sense. And so I'm really, I'm really pretty uh, ruthless. I would say about trying to keep that schedule and that would be the ideal, you know? So, um, that, that exercise piece would be, I'm a runner. Um, I run to live. I don't live to run (laughs) big difference, but I do like to run and I'll, I'll run, you know, 
seven to 10 miles uh, most days. So once we're done with this interview, man, I'm now in the summer, it's harder because it's hot, but um, typically I would, you know, spend a 90 minutes in the afternoon on a, on an ideal day out running. And that time is actually dual usage because it's exercise, but it's also more praying, uh, lots of podcast listening, um, sermon listening, some phone calls, but it, it, you know, I can, I can multitask, uh, running and it's, it's just refreshing. It's, it's been one of the great habits for me the last five years of my life that I am incredibly protective of. We should have done this podcast while you were running. <laughs> oh, well, let's, it would have been, it would have been just sort of as annoying as the airport would have been. And round three. <laughs> yeah. Cause I couldn't, I would have a hard time breathing and uh, the wind would be blowing and <laughs> You hear the dogs chasing me, and yeah, that's incredible. My legs hurt All just uh, just talking about seven or ten miles. So, uh, what what is your favorite personality test? I like all of them. I mean, I I'll, I'll probably rank them currently with. Uh, I still am a big fan of Myers Briggs, so I'll put that one number one just because mm-hmm. the the uh, I think it's had most it's had the longest impact on me. Enneagram with, you know, everybody's into that. So especially if you live in Nashville, don't you guys have to like, don't you have to take an Enneagram to, to move there? Yeah. It's a thing that the city requires now before you right. purchase like a home like, or residency. Yeah. <laughs> it's every, every elementary student is now required to take the Enneagram in Nashville. driver's license now. It's crazy. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, it is. Yeah. That's funny on your driver's license. <laughs> you at some point on, guys, especially being in Nashville. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. I was going to say at some point I'm going to, I wouldn't be surprised if it's like either a tattoo or it's on your shirt yeah. everywhere you go. That's yeah. so good. And you're an ENTJ on the Myers Briggs. Yes. What's and I'm three, 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 three. Brad, what's an unusual habit that helps you in your leadership? Uh, yeah, this, I like this question. And I was trying, I was, I was grappling with this. Um, I, I, I guess I would have to say that, uh, I am a just sort of a knowing question asker. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that's one of my, yeah, just short of annoying, not, not annoying, but just short of it. (laughs) So I, I think that actually is one of my superpowers going back to you know, I'm a, I really like to connect people and I really like to ask questions, but man, question asking and curiosity has been such a massive credibility builder for me over the course of my career. It's so true. Cause when we had lunch that one day, I was like, so looking forward to asking you questions and hearing all your thoughts. <laughs> I think that I probably answered 78 questions by the time the lunch was, I know. it was great. It was great. That's I feel funny. like, I feel like sometimes, you know, that it's like the battle of the old West when I sit down with somebody and they're a good question asker too. Yeah. So we're just, we're just like the battle of the bands, man. Just answer it with another question, you know, exactly. Like on uh, who's line is it anyway? Question. Yeah. 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 Um, what is your favorite app on your phone? Well, the Uversion Bible app. I mean, yeah. what other app is there? <laughs> That's great. Notes app. I use notes app all the time. I mean, that one's not sexy, but I've got, I bet I have a, a current running note app, uh, or well, I, I have a current open folder or file on my note app that probably has, it probably has 40,000 words in it. 
Wow. Yeah. So I keep like copy and pasting it onto Google so I don't lose it. But, <laughs> uh, it's, there's stuff in there from like 2012. It's crazy. Wow. I guess I should be more, I, I should probably like create more folders, but <laughs> I just like, I just like having it open and then I just put stuff on the top and just For keep sure. taking notes. I use the notes at some, I've been into Evernote a lot lately yeah. and that's been super helpful for me. Yeah. I mean, I, Evernote is also one of those that I just, I've always done note app just because it was, it was easier. I felt like than Evernote, but Evernote, yeah, same, same idea. Yeah. Yep. What has been the best book you've read in the past six months? Um, well, I, I mean, the one that's most impacted me, two of them would be when I mentioned that one by Daniel Pink and the power moments by Chip and Dan Heath. Power moments so, was, was incredible. Yeah. Deep, deep work by Cal Newport is also one that I'm, I'm into right now. So it's, it's really helpful. Um, but those, those two stand out for me. The, the first two. I'm in the middle of reading deep work and it's, uh, it's actually taking me a while. It, I feel like you kind of have to take a while to read that book or, or, or you're like, sitting against the book. I told Josh, I'm scared to read the book Yeah, because <laughs> I know it's going to, it's going to do a work on, on my life. Yeah. It's, conv- it's, 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 it's challenging. It, it should be called deep read. <laughs> That's true. That's true. What one sentence advice, last question, what one sentence advice would you give someone going into a leadership position for the very first time? Be yourself. I mean, authenticity, the, the, the big four, authenticity, transparency, vulnerability, honesty. Those probably make some kind of acronym if you put them in the right order <laughs> yeah. that Rick Warren has used at some point. Uh, <laughs> but man, those, that's, I still think that is the, and here's what it comes down to. All of those equal self-awareness. Yeah. And if you're self-aware as a leader, which goes back to a lot of things we've talked about guys, like if you know your personality type, if you're, if you're deeply, uh, aware of the way you are wired. If, if you're, if you're confident in your identity and calling and assignment, you know, all those things create self-awareness, which gives you confidence because you're content. So self-awareness leads to confidence, which gives you contentment, which actually makes you Mm. humble. Mm. Humble leaders are really self-aware. Arrogant leaders are really insecure, you know, so be yourself in that, that's that that sounds like the you know the t-shirt everybody's wearing but there's so much behind that that is so hard to do and takes a lot of lot of work uh in the early days but man if if you're leading from your best self uh that that will that that is the one thing especially today because so many of your peers and my peers and those coming behind us they're actually walking in and leading people older than them Mm -hmm. (laughs) They're leading, they're, they're stepping in at 25 and going, if I'm honest, I have no clue. Yeah. Well, you know what? Be honest and, and sit in front of that team and say, guys, I'm not sure why I'm in this role. I mean, I'm going to work my guts out and I feel like, uh, I'm, I'm confident and content that I want to be here, but I don't know what I'm doing. So yeah. can you help me? Can you coach me? Can you be my best advocate? And all of a sudden people are like, I'm for you. Yeah compared to walking in and you, you have this posture that you know everything and they're like, who's the young buck that now our only goal is to take them out. Mm. <laughs> it's so the, go ahead. Go ahead. No, that, that's just, that's the way I want to navigate. And that's the lesson I think more than ever today, people, 
young leaders uh, get rid of that sort of that that posture that says, "I'm I'm good. I'm I'm faking it. We all know it, but I'm good." Uh, we've said this before on here, but seven words that'll gain you influence and uh, support and, and wisdom and humility uh, are I, I do not know. Let's find out together. Boom. Uh, that'll gain you a ton of that all at the same time. Um, man, well, this has been really. It's by the way, that's eight. by the way, that's eight words. <laughs> Is it? I well, unless you unless you hyphenate, let's, don't. I'm hyphening it. Oh, I don't know. Let's find out together. Yeah, that's uh, seven. Yeah, yeah, Sorry, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was homeschooled, but it's not that. Let's bad. I counted on my fingers before I said. Here's it. here's the thing too. I just stole that, so I'll give you credit in book three, but. Um, you know, after I use it three times, it's mine. It's totally totally fine. Totally fine. Well, Brad, it's always so much fun talking with you. Thanks for joining us on the podcast today and sharing about your leadership journey. And thank you for listening today. We hope this has been helpful to you and your leadership. And if it has been, please head on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review so that other leaders like yourself can find the podcast. See you next week. See ya. See ya.